How can Catholics help those that they love, children, siblings, parents, friends, find their way home to the Catholic Church? Join us today as we explore the answer to that question with our special guest, Dr. Carrie Gress, author of the book, Nudging Conversions, a practical guide to bring those you love back to the church. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. We'll be talking about a nudging conversions today. I'm joined in our studio with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan. And we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. Carrie Gress. You hold a, a doctorate in philosophy from Catholic U, an MA uh, from Franciscan That's University, right. uh, which I'm so proud to have alums uh, on the show. Uh, you served as their Rome Bureau Chief uh, for Zenit, uh, mm -hmm. their English edition, and you're a mother of four. Uh, your family live in Virginia, and you're the author of Motherhood, The Ultimate Makeover, uh, as well as the co-author with George Weigel on City of Saints. And today we're going to be talking about nudging conversions, a practical guide to bringing your loved ones back to the church. Uh, so welcome to the show. Thank you. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I'm so excited you're here because this is a, a very important topic for right. for us in general as Catholics, mm -hmm. and it's uh, at the forefront of the mind of, of those uh, leading the church today. Um, but before we get into kind of the heart of the book, um, why did you write it? What inspired <laughs> you? What drew you to, to write this book? You know, I, I didn't plan on writing this book. It wasn't like I thought I should write a book about, about evangelization. In fact, I, I largely would leave that to the to the experts but um, one afternoon I was I was at mass on uh, I was there was these two women and they were arguing who had more children away from the church and I <laughs> I, I engaged them and I, I just started chatting and and one of them was quite elderly and she said that she had many hip replacements and I said well are, are you offering that up for your kids and she said no I, I usually just complain about it and <laughs> you know after chatting I as I was driving home I realized that I'd given her three different things to think about and I thought why don't I just add three more and make an article and um, once the article was published, then someone suggested that I, I make it into a book, and and um, so that's what it's it's really turned into. But um, it certainly wasn't something that I thought about doing at all. In fact, um, you know, like I said, there are other people who have done it and can do it well. But um, it just seemed like there were some experiences from my life that had really, um, you know, made it clear to me that there were there were some easy ways to evangelize that we don't normally think of. Oh, that's so great. That is great. Well. And uh, I believe there's a little uh, connection here with the university when you're talking about Yes, here with absolutely. That too. Well, um, when I first was a student here, I was um, kind of a revert to, to the faith, and my family, they thought I was crazy. My, my mom thought I had joined a cult. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was just this awkward situation when I would go home for holidays and things like that. But I desperately wanted my family to convert. And so, you know, I threw out my new apologetic skills with them and you know was making arguments and 
nothing seemed to work. In fact, mm -hmm. it just seemed to really push my, my family members away. And so mm -hmm. um, at one point, I finally was under the direction of Father Dan Petit here at, at Steubenville, and he suggested that I start spending an hour every day in adoration. And um, of course, I thought he was crazy because I was working, I was in school full time, like who has time to do that? Yes, but yes. Um, anyway, I obediently followed his, his recommendation, and as a result, I just uh, all these insights started coming to me about my family. I had a lot of time to pray for them, but also just to realize that I was going about reaching them in all the wrong ways and that there was really an, a much easier way to do it. So um, it's great to be back here and just, you know, be back at the port and, and where all these prayers were, really came to me and were said and, and to see the fruit of it now in this book. So Well, I, I love it. I love that it's born out of a desire to help other people. You could see a real need, but born out of prayer before our Eucharistic right. Lord. Right. Well, when we think about evangelization for Catholics, this is, uh, even though we've been talking about mm -hmm. evangelization for many, right. many, many years, right. um, particularly the new evangelization, mm -hmm. um, but there's, it's still intimidating uh, for a right. lot of Catholics. There's still yeah. a lot of fear mm -hmm. uh, in stepping out. What, mm -hmm. what really is that fear? What is that, what scares Catholics uh, away from well, evangelizing? Well, I think several things. I think one, the one thing that I noticed and talk a lot about in this book is that we often think of evangelization as something of a debate and we have to have all the answers before mm. we're going into it or we have to <laughs> think if only I could just say this to them or and uh, what I discovered in prayer was th this is the complete wrong way of going about it yeah. that in <clears throat> fact it's it's much more fundamental it's far it's about building relationship and about showing that you love people and mm. having that kind of foundation that then from there um, things can grow, but if people feel like you're trying to sell them something, I think we all kind of know that, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. that there's yeah. a there's a, almost a salesman yeah. feeling about it. And I, I think also people have just they've had bad experiences. I know I did, as, you know, initially just making recommendations or, or um, you know, trying to engage people in arguments, and this just was, wasn't where they were. They weren't thinking in terms of um, apologetic issues. This they they were thinking more. How do I live my life? And 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 I was thinking, how do I make the church relevant to them? Yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm really struck by uh, the examples that you cite, uh, because they they suggest that reason has its limits. I mean, we right, have that right. famous dictum from mm -hmm. Pascal: the heart has reasons, Absolutely. of which reason knows nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe uh, as you put it in your book, in a very winsome phrase. A reason has been placed on the chopping block of, of education, <laughs> yes. and, and that yep. may be the case. So right. it's not so much a matter of reaching for uh, the best possible syllogism, right. but your life, uh, the force of your example, your prayers, right. that will turn out to be more efficacious in the end. And it seems to have been borne out by these illustrations. No, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I saw dramatic changes with, with my family, and, you know, over time, because we're we're building relationship, we're trying uh, yeah. trying to get to a point where people know that we love them and that they come to have this fundamental trust. And so, then it's much easier to convey the faith because they wonder what makes you different. Why are you listening? Why do you care? Why are you um, trying to reach me on the places where I need to be met instead of, um, you know, just making an argument or trying to find that perfect phrase that will turn someone's heart. So. Yeah. You know, with a doctorate in philosophy, you obviously know the value of reason, but right. its limitations as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we also have a, all experienced this sort of conversion as a sales technique, you know, mm -hmm. just as you had fuller brush salesmen going door to door when I was growing up as a kid. So we still have people going door to door. And I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. 
but there really is a sort of you know sales approach, mm -hmm. and it's a different vision of what evangelization and conversion entail. And even though we could accommodate that as Catholics, I think we recognize that conversion is necessarily ongoing. Mm. It's right. uh, it has much more to do with relationships. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate because I look back on my own Protestant formation, and the approach that I was taught, it wasn't so much taught as caught because it was incarnational. It was mm -hmm. friendship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a, a, an older fellow who was at the University of Pittsburgh investing his life in me. Mm -hmm. And we had shared experiences. Right. And so as a result of that, when I go to a retreat, you know, it was much easier for me to just hear it and believe it because I had seen it. Right. I had enjoyed it. Right. And I think that's what you do in this book. You just give so many practical tips, mm -hmm. but then with each tip, you also give very personal examples, anecdotes mm -hmm. that just show us that in everyday life, if we are praying, if we're reading, if we're really attentive to the people around us and their deep spiritual needs, right. we can be the instrument that God uses. Right. I, it, you know, in, in your book, I thought the most telling line, and it wasn't one that you had written, but borrowed from some <laughs> anonymous priest who <laughs> defined evangelization <laughs> as one beggar telling another, look, I found right. the food truck. Right. Here's the no, bread, yeah. uh, come with me. Absolutely. So that presupposes that people are hungry, mm -hmm. uh, not for argument, mm -hmm. but for bread, mm -hmm. the Absolutely. bread of life. Yeah. Right, no, and I think we're seeing that a lot. I think that this is an incredible time to know how to properly evangelize people because the fact that people are so hungry, there's yeah. so much, mm. um, you know, the secular world has just enveloped us so much and people are, want something deeper. I know um, one of the things that I, I wish I'd put more of in the book, but I didn't have the experience to put that much in it when I wrote it, but um, I, I've talked to a lot of women who want their husbands to convert. And sure. yeah. you know, you see this divide that happens between them so deeply. And um, I, again, you hear, okay, if only I could just show him the right book or give him right. Um, yeah. the right thing and, and instead, the, of the division, I think we need to, women, it would be much better, um, it would benefit much better if they tried to love their husband even more than they did before. Yeah. And yeah. and trying, instead of the church becoming something that was dividing them, because this is what the husband sees, sure. is you have sure. this faith now, right. and our relationship is not at all like it used to be. Instead of letting that be divisive, um, kind of overcoming that and, and loving them um, you know, more deeply mm. than before. And our, and our culture tends to reinforce this idea that religion you know, spirituality is a woman's thing anyway, right. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think you're right. I, I think that the building a bridge of friendship and, and being supernaturally natural with your spouse, <laughs> instead of just simply trying to change their mind or set them straight. Right. Because invariably yeah. it becomes an intractable. It's not Absolutely. just divisive. Right. You almost, you know, uh, concretize two opposing positions. Absolutely. You know? well, one, one fact you can't uh, help but notice uh, in your book, you're constantly uh, referencing Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. I, I think your own analysis is mm -hmm. of a piece with, mm -hmm. with his, particularly right. in uh, Evangelii Gaudium, his, right. his, his really, uh, his earliest exhortation yeah, yes. shortly after becoming Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, and and he, he's pretty insistent mm -hmm. that you have to accompany people, a journey right. with them. You can't hit them over the head with mm -hmm. the, the summa. Right. Uh, you have to make the faith attractive. Mm -hmm. When you proselytize, uh, you don't win converts, but mm -hmm. your life could right. be the bridge uh, to belief. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I love the fact that I've got a room here of, of doctors, uh, you know, and, and they're all talking about things that as a layman who doesn't have an, uh, you know, a doctorate, that, that, that reason is vital, is important. No one's uh, displacing that, but the relationship, the love, mm-hmm. uh, the connectedness that all of us as Catholics uh, share. But this is a calling. Uh, mm-hmm. that we have. This is an, an urgent calling we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the danger when Catholics don't respond to that <laughs> call, when we don't step out? Right. Uh, um, I think the first danger is that it really makes our own faith stale almost, that you know, we yeah. know we're called from the very beginning to, be, to, offer, to give our faith, to pass it on to others, and that that is really a, a, a like yeast in our own faith, that it, it mm. makes it grow and, and transforms it in ways that we can't imagine when we're giving it away. And so I think there's that personal element, of course, of um, what we see. But I think that the larger element is when we're not passing our faith along, we end up with people right. who don't have faith. Yeah. <laughs> you have that Clearly. one uh, example of, of the comedian whose name escapes me, who says, oh, look, right. if, if you really believe in everlasting life, but you don't mm-hmm. tell anybody about right. it, maybe you don't really like people. In fact, you mm-hmm. may hate them, right. have only loathing for them. Or if you think a truck is coming uh, to run you over, uh, maybe your first impulse ought to be to tackle mm-hmm. this other fellow to save his life. Mm-hmm. But Catholics don't get that exercise. Isn't mm-hmm. that example of an atheist? Too. It is. And that's, yeah, that's what's yeah. so striking. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Penn Gillette is the name of the comedian. Penn and Teller is a, a really? group. Yeah, and he's got this fantastic I, quote. Yeah. Um, and he's an atheist. He says, this is, if, if Catholics really believe this, this heaven is and hell, and heaven and hell. Eternal consequences. Right. I don't, but if, if <laughs> right, I right. did, but then I would be acting on it. It would be like it. seeing right. somebody standing and not seeing a truck coming right at them. I mean, right. I was thinking of that exact same anecdote, mm-hmm. and it just struck me that we really don't have authentic love if we're not prayerfully searching ways to build those mm-hmm. bridges, not just to connect with people in friendship, although that's awesome, right. but to really allow Jesus to connect yeah. in friendship yes. with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't transmit the good news, then maybe you're telling people it's not so good, uh, right. <laughs> no. or it's optional. Uh, right, no, absolutely. Yeah. So. so when you think of evangelization, mm-hmm. is there a uh, quick fix, a one size fits all, like, hey, no. you gotta check this box. Yeah, her book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah buy my book, exactly. So no, I, um, I, there's no one size fits all. I think everybody is in such different places. I think even just my own experience as a, a revert, and as Dr. Hahn mentioned, you know, there's always these layers where we need to go deeper and, and deeper. And, and so, um, yeah, if there was a quick fix, I think we would have found it by now. But mm. um, it's, it's really just a matter of trying to help people just heal and see how relevant the church is and how Christ is. Christ yeah. is the healer and wants to give them so much more than they even dream of um, yeah. in their own and It life. goes back probably to what Regis was talking about with Pope Francis, the, the right. accompaniment, uh, that you right. find the person and you get yeah. to know them. You're in relationship with them mm-hmm. and know their needs and where they're coming well, from. Well, I think it was Pope Francis who reminded us that the real agent of evangelization is Christ, yeah, uh, and his approach is to look people directly in the mm-hmm. eye with love right. and concern. He really cared mm-hmm. about people. Well, and uh, one of my favorite chapters is in the book is where I talk about asking questions. And as a philosopher, of course, everybody knows Socrates is the one that asks 
the first questions and, and oh, he's famous for the Socratic method. But I, I was astounded to see how many times Christ asked questions. I, I was yeah. shocked to look at Matthew's gospel. Almost every chapter there's a question. Yeah. You know, who do people say that I am? And, uh, you know, on and on and on. And I think that is one of the, you know, the most underused tools of evangelization that's mm -hmm. out there because questions elicit from people something that telling them doesn't. Mm -hmm. If you ask yeah. a question and, you, and even if the person gives an answer, that is not very thoughtful, it'll probably stick with them. They'll go back and reconsider it, and, and they think, maybe I don't really think that. Or, that, or even when you verbalize something, you realize that doesn't sound as, you know, as truthful as I thought it, it was when I, before I articulated it. So I think that's an, a really, just a, an incredible tool that is so easy because it yeah. takes the pressure off of you and having to you know, spout facts or whatever, but, and just and leaves it in the, in the, the ball in the other court. Yeah. Uh, stay with us for the next segment of Franciscan University Presents. As our Holy Father has reminded us in Evangelium Vitae, we must first evangelize ourselves. We must have an act of prayer and sacramental life before we can expect to be able to do anything else. Secondly, to whoever we would wish to reach out to, we must very clearly show that we care and love them before any mention of God or faith is made. Uh, it must be made clear in our actions, in our interest, in our words. And only then, and the Lord will reveal the time that is right, when a faith concept or something that will present itself will appear, but it will be in God's time, not ours. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about nudging conversions, a practical guide to bringing those you love back into the church with Dr. Carrie Gress. Um, Carrie, we, we set up a really nice platform, I think, that, mm -hmm. that makes it accessible for those who don't have PhDs, aren't <laughs> professional evangelists, right. that evangelization, uh, although we need truth, we need reason, uh, is a lot about relationships and mm -hmm. getting to know people, accompanying them on their journey. Mm -hmm. um, but in this, all of us have been influenced by the culture. Mm -hmm. um, what role does the culture play in evangelization? <laughs> well, I think, um, uh, well, uh, our co current culture is, is anti-evangelization or, or mm -hmm. the anti-evangelization, I suppose, because it's so, becomes so secular. Every, um, if you just look at you know, women's magazines and, and most of the things that are on TV, they're really pushing us away from having a deeper relationship with Christ and, and moving mm -hmm. into the, even um, anything remotely prayerful. And so I think that's the other important element about evangelization is that um, Catholics can really, are, you know, we've been, we look at Renaissance Europe, we look at medieval Europe. I mean, that, there's this creative impulse that always comes with Catholicism when it's lived deeply. And that, that is something that we need to, as Catholics, be moving in and thinking about. It's not just about our friends and family, but what are the gifts that we have that we can be passing these along so that we are building up a, a real authentic 
Christian culture instead of something that's, um, you know, doing the opposite work for us. I like the approach that you take because there's a progression. You know, everybody has family, everybody has friends, everybody has suffering too to offer up in, right. in prayer and that sort of thing. But the chapter on cultivating real culture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and pinpointing the way of beauty, mm -hmm. you know, it isn't our task to kind of create the civilization of love. Mm -hmm. You know, we just have like one brick to add to the wall. Right. But we have that brick, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a way to discover beauty and truth and to share it with others by inviting them. You know, you talked about having couples over and, mm -hmm. you know, just having them bring one particular thing. And mm -hmm. it was, when, I, when I, I put the book down, I'm like, I want to do that, you know. And so I mentioned <laughs> it to Kimberly, why don't we have some couples over and just uh, build those bridges by suggesting that they bring something that they want to talk about. Right, yeah. 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 I just think that's a, that's very concrete, mm -hmm. very, very practical. Absolutely, and I think, I mean, one of the most concrete things that we can do is just turn the TV off when we have other right. people over. Yeah. I mean, that right. is, I mean, you go to somebody's house and there's three TVs on and, and people are, yeah. you can't ever get into a conversation that's any, you know, no. much that's deeper than just, that is, it is, exactly. Yeah, and we, so we're so. already, so we have both the, the competition of the culture with right. the gospel message. Yeah. Right, uh, right. But we also are called to influence that culture and mm -hmm. that our little, little contribution yeah. right. uh, impacts that. And I like and, this yeah. image of the brick, you know, you can, you, you can build the brick or you can use the brick to smash windows. You know, right. there's a yeah. very, it's there's a, it, it, it seems to me that it's dangerous naive uh, mm -hmm. to discount the culture. Absolutely. We can't escape right. the right. issue of culture. It keeps bumping up Absolutely. against our being. Mm -hmm. It's simply the embodiment of what mm -hmm. we believe, the mm -hmm. incarnation of faith or the absence of faith, and it will either liberate or oppress, mm -hmm. but it's not going away. Right. I mean, Bonaventure speaks of, of uh, the ladder that extends from earth to eternity, and secularism would be the attempt to dismantle it, to tear it down. Mm -hmm. Well, culture, Christian culture, uh, is the effort to rebuild uh, that ladder That's and right. to encourage people to start climbing right. so that they can finally disappear mm -hmm. into the heart and mind of God. Mm -hmm. that, that's a tall order, mm -hmm. but it begins in a piecemeal way, mm -hmm. like inviting couples to your house uh, yeah. to break bread together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's really about creating a subculture, you know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because if you're looking at our society today, it's, it's, you're bound to be intimidated and overwhelmed because it really is a kind of new devangelization. Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact is we can see it in our own lives and everybody else too, that everybody's converting in one direction or right. another. Nobody really stands still. Right. You know, as yeah. Bob Dylan sang after finding Jesus back in the 70s, you gotta serve somebody, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And by showing people the way to the Lord Jesus and doing it in a way that friendship, beauty, culture, mm -hmm. you know, you might not change even the town that you live in, mm -hmm. but you can widen and deepen that kind of family subculture that everybody, I think, tends to gravitate towards, even if they don't understand why. Right, right, no. absolutely. That, that line that uh, Pope Francis has uh, is pretty penetrating, that you mustn't evangelize as though you had just returned from a, from a funeral. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, no, and Teresa of Avila, spare me, O oh Lord, from dour saints. Right, absolutely. I mean, to be a saint, you have to smile, mm -hmm. yeah. even Although when I, you're I, walking I'm, into the cultural catastrophe. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I'm married to someone who's very melancholic, and so joy is not his thing. So I have to defend those who, you know, that's 
it's not maybe not your temperament, but I think the other thing that speaks volumes is peace. And I think that yeah. is yeah, one yeah. of the things that people, we live in such a frenetic, yes. fast-paced society. Everybody's so Chaotic. emotionally stirred up. I mean, just looking at Facebook, you go from the saddest story you've ever read to someone's had a baby, you know, it's emotional whiplash. You're just constantly, yeah. you know, bombarded. And so if you find somebody that's got this incredible deep peace, I think that and that and coupled with joy or and or um, is, is a really important piece um, to be offering the, the yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that phrase you, you have, the tyranny of niceness. Yes. I mean, we, we really do have to put, right. you know, keep that at bay. And, mm -hmm. and the distinction you make is very helpful. If you can't smile 24 seven, at least you can evince a kind of peace, right. a, a calm, a serenity. Right. And people notice that and they, they find it infectious. Right, you know, where did very you get drawn this? to it, very yeah. drawn to it. And I think all the, the peace, the, those, those naturally that would draw people in come from a mature faith. You, mm -hmm. you talk about that right. here. And right. you know, why is it important for the would-be evangelist mm -hmm. uh, to have a mature faith? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what does that look like? Well, I think simply you cannot give what you don't have. Um, I think that's just one of the most fundamental pieces of this book is if you don't have faith yourself and, and you want to give it away, you, you don't have anything to really offer. Right. And so yeah. I think that's a, a huge piece. But as far as the, the marks of mature faith, um, there's so many different signs, I think. Again, peacefulness and, yeah. and joy, but um, it's also knowing how to pray and, and knowing, trusting God, surrendering mm -hmm. your life to Him. All of these pieces are, are really yeah. you know, great characteristics that I think um, you, can, you can see in other people that mm -hmm. there's, there's a depth going on there. This isn't something that you know, next week when the new trend blows in, I'll be right. um, doing something else, or when I have a new set of friends, I'll you know, follow them on this, down this road but that there's something deeply rooted and, and um, holding you in place. And then from there, it's, it's easier to, to pour that out to others. So mm -hmm. I, I think most fundamentally, the, the first thing you can do to evangelize others is to try and make your own faith go deeper, to spend more time in adoration, spend maybe add another mass to your week. If you don't go weekdays, go once a week on, on a, to a daily mass, those kinds of things. Yeah. Increasing your own prayer is, is only going to, to make it easier to pass the faith on to others. I would like to stand up in defense of melancholic joy. <laughs> uh, my wife, Kimberly, we all describe as pathologically positive. She's just joyful no matter right. what. Dad, on the other hand, tends to be neurotically negative, you mm -hmm. know. I'm not melancholic. We have a couple kids who are, but there really is a different kind of joy. I think mm -hmm. we just associate joy with a certain type of personality, where right. they're buoyant Bubbly. and giddy and yeah. And, and the fact is, peace and joy are like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And I think they come, and I can see it in several examples you cite. When you, when you keep your, or when you continually shift your mind to the eternal, mm -hmm. and you fix your heart on God, then suddenly these circumstances of life just fall into place, you mm -hmm. know? You might be going through really tough times, at the same time, you know that God is with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that other melancholics are gonna say, that's the kind of joy I can relate to, right. you know? Right. Yeah. It isn't smiley, bubbly. Yes, uh, yeah. right. And sometimes but, that comes off as superficial, to, mm -hmm. particularly That's to melancholic. True. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right. a turnoff. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. right. I think that, that when you go to the idea of peace and joy, it's got to be genuine, you know? And if it, people, uh, I think, have very good detectors of people who are just superficial and mm -hmm. have just nothing more than a veneer, mm -hmm. uh, but a melancholic has oftentimes feels things more deeply, and therefore those 
those are real. And looks at the shadows. You know, I think of my favorite character in the Narnia Chronicles is Puddle Glum, <laughs> you know, and he finds joy in the midst of darkness and smoke and seduction. You know, when he puts his foot in the fire, it just kind of awakens that sense of there's something more, there's something greater. And I think melancholics can often show the way, not with mm. some big bright sun, but a flashlight or, mm -hmm. you know, a candle or something. I, I want to speak out in defense for your husband's <laughs> sake, but yeah, for yeah, others yeah, too, yeah, right. who have that melancholy. There's a, there's a great line in Augustine, love is my gravitation, mm -hmm. and where it goes, I too must follow. And it doesn't really matter how you're feeling uh, on mm -hmm. the way. Sure. It, uh, the truth is not a function <clears throat> of, of temperament. Uh, it's much deeper. Um, and that's what we serve. That's what we testify to. And that line you have, I, I counted it, I think, three times it popped up. It's a sort of mantra. You can't give what you don't have. That's mm -hmm. right. And if you don't have faith, what is right. it that you're giving away? Yeah. Right. It doesn't yeah. make right. you very uh, uh, right. enticing. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think those who have gone through suffering, uh, mm -hmm. in the midst of that, they have even more to give. Uh, Absolutely. Those who may not have the right. right words or this or that, but they have their own, they are, they are faithful in the midst of mm -hmm. trial. They are faithful through uh, challenges. I really think of that as a, a maturing uh, experience in our lives. And if right. we hold fast to our faith in the midst of that, that's the, that's the beauty. You, you had mentioned uh, the whole business of hunger, you know, thirst mm. and longing mm -hmm. for God and, and mm -hmm. uh, the beggar. You know, right. Giussani says he's the protagonist of history. His arms are always outstretched because he's empty mm -hmm. and he acknowledges his nothingness and begs God to, to, to stoop down, bend over and give me your life, your love. But what do you do with people who say, look, I've got plenty of comfort food. Mm -hmm. I, I call it money, a job, sex, right. power, right. Uh, a style. Mm -hmm. what, what do I need evangelizing? Right, well, for? and I think mm -hmm. there's so many people that are out there like that, I know. Um, I was uh, I recently had a, shared a meal with some parents that their their um, college children had all left the faith or left their, their children left the faith in college and how do you draw them back? You've given them these fundamentals, but um, you know they're washed away quickly and in these influential college years. And how do you rebuild that? Because now they've got jobs, they've got careers, they're not interested in that. And and that's one of the things we're seeing among churches where they're they are trying to to reach people at um, baptism and, and the first communion of their children because it's that point that people start paying attention to the, the faith. But I think um, there's a lot to be said for really the church recognizing that we're always, it's always relevant to be Catholic. It's every aspect of your life. But how are we packaging that? How are we making that clear, to, particularly to those who are in college and, and elsewhere, that you know, the money's great and style and all that's fine, but it's only gonna get you so far. And um, yeah. maybe that really is where the role of suffering comes from. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it grounds mm. us in, in such a way where we can see through these things in there. You know, some, somebody once said that the, the true enemy of myth is circumstance, and sooner or later, circumstance brings down the right. myth that I'm sort of self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. I can manage just fine. I'll shepherd my own way into the kingdom. In fact, I'll contrive the kingdom uh, in earthly terms. So leave me alone. Mm -hmm. That person is going to be struck down mm -hmm. uh, right. inevitably. And that's when the hunger may show itself. Mm -hmm. I need more. Yeah. But between now and then, I yeah. think those gentle nudges, you mm -hmm. know, the continual yeah. reminder is right. not pestering them. It shouldn't be at least, you right. know. We should be scratching where people itch, and if they don't itch, well, use a little itching powder. It might take time, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But over time, those sorts of circumstances invariably will catch up to people, mm -hmm. and they're going to remember who they can turn to. Right. Yeah, and don't say, I told you so. I mean, I think that's, that's right. really oh. not going to win <laughs> hearts over. Okay. Okay. I knew you were going to end up this place, but uh, yeah, that doesn't work. That's but. 
Yeah. yeah. So words and or witness. We've talked quite a bit mm -hmm. about witness, and obviously there's a, there's a power in that. Right. Um, uh, but also, what role does apologetics or having knowledge of the faith come in? Uh, yeah, I, th I think apologetics obviously is huge um, and incredibly important. And I think one of the things, though, that is problematic about it is most people feel like, you know, I'm not Scott Hahn. I can't, I don't know how to defend the faith um, the way that he does. And Thank I God. think. <laughs> I am, but I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think so this is a, a, a difficult thing because people find it very intimidating that there's just this, we have 2,000 years of our faith. I mean, there's a lot to sift through and a lot to really know. And then you also have sort of the, the culture's favorite things that they love to beat Catholics up about, whether it's, you know, the Inquisition um, or Galileo or, you know, you name it, there's, there's something out there that someone's going to try and... Um, you know, trip you up on. And so it seems... I'm going to pick this up on the other side. Excuse you. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. I think the keys to evangelization are to pray for the person and persevere in their prayer and not to give up hope that the person may not be progressing as fast as you want them to. And I think the second key to evangelization is loving the person where they're at, just the same way God loves us in our sins and our faults, to reciprocate the same love for that person as God loves us. A lot of times people do come, the young teens do come and they don't want to be there. They're usually there because they have to be there for a confirmation obligation. But if you've been able to cultivate within the group a good Christ Christian welcoming environment, the youth begins to see the light and the joy that exists within that community. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that. Because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know, can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. We're recording right now in our communication arts studio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and equipment here. Our panelists, our theology professors here at the university. We've been talking about nudging conversions, kind of moving people along in the faith uh, with Dr. Kerry Gress. Um, so I, I had to cut you off the last mm -hmm. segment. Right. We were talking about the role of apologetics. Mm -hmm. And you kind of started painting a picture of how much the world likes to heap stuff at us. Right, absolutely. Uh, to undermine the faith, uh, create obstacles, pitfalls. Mm -hmm. um, but we can continue on with that. Well, I think that the one struggle that most people have with, with using apologetics is that we're just overwhelmed by the amount of things that we have to respond to. And right. so it feels like, okay, what if I have to start down this road and then all of a sudden I don't have an answer? And I, I think um, this is really a, a stumbling block, but I think there's a great, there are great resources for it. The first one, of course, is to say, I, I don't really know the answer to that. 
but I can find a book for you, I can find a great resource, or I can you know, send you a link to something about that. Um, because I, I, we have this sense that we have to know it all. You know, yeah. you Catholics, you don't know your faith. Well, there's 2,000 years of history to cover. Um, so it's, it's a little difficult to do that for, for most of us. But um, I think that's one of the best things about the internet is that there's so many resources out there. I think when I was coming back to the faith, I didn't have, I remember we're passing around VHS, you know, movies, <laughs> um, using those resources. Back but, in the um, our dark ages. Back almost, in the, yeah. a long time ago, <laughs> yes. A millennium ago. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And um, so really trying to find the resources was difficult, but now it's, it's not so much. And I think people respect you if you say, you know, I don't know that. I've, this is something I've never studied, but I can find for you a great resource if you're, that's something you're interested in. You know, here's a book, here's a, here's a website, um, here's a, a video that's been done on it. And, and I think that's a great way to sort of negotiate some of the apologetics without feeling like you have to really be an encyclopedia. Um, well, that, that, that's an admission of humility, which mm -hmm. I think is not only disarming, but sanctifying. Right. right. Uh, and wow. it should be recommended. Uh, uh, the art of listening, I, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. uh, uh, is, is, goes right to the heart of, of evangelization. And, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking that it's a pretty uh, hallowed tradition. You mm -hmm. find this in St. Thomas. Uh, the whole nature of the disputatio is rooted in his willingness to listen, to get inside right. the mind That's of his adversary mm -hmm. so that he understands his argument better even than he does. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the point Chesterton made about seven centuries later. If you want to be a good controversialist, a, a, an effective polemicist, you need to listen to find out where is this guy coming from. Right. And you could begin by asking, what is it that you really want? Mm -hmm. What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. And then listen. And yeah. and usually the things that come up that people will bring up as something that they a, a beef they have with the church yeah. usually has nothing to do with that. It's right. usually there's something much deeper. much deeper yeah. Yeah. that goes back to you know I had a bad experience here or this happened or I was angry about this event and. The, that's where the listening can come in because that's when true healing can happen. If you're really yeah. paying attention to yeah. those those deeper, um, you know, nuances of what's under so um, something that has been suggested superficially. You know, you mentioned my name in connection to apologetics, but I mean, I have to be honest and admit a certain reluctance to dive into apologetics. And really, for 30 years or more since becoming a Catholic and before then, I. I felt as though there were sort of people out there who were like macho apologists with a false mm -hmm. sense of certitude right. who thought they could argue into submission just like someone could pin you down for the 10 count, you know? <laughs> and I think it's become apparent to all of us now that a new evangelization calls for a new apologetics. That was the line I know from a friend, John Cavadini at Notre Dame, but others have used it too. And the, the logic of the faith is really something that you can see, but you know, 60 or 70 years ago, Frank Sheed could be there in Hyde Park of London and the Catholic Evidence Guild could be arguing, you know, debating. Mm -hmm. But we've had a, a slow but seismic shift of culture mm -hmm. so that I think that the, the inner logic of love has to be the thing that really opens the mind and simultaneously the heart. Right. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of that one episode in the book where you, uh, you speak of a graduate student who was here, struggling with unbelief, agnosticism, going through RCIA, pulling back, going through RCIA again, and apparently pulling back until he just simply read the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. You know, to believe in God the Father Almighty, yeah. to believe in Jesus Christ, 
who from all eternity is more of a son than any kid I've ever had, you know, and to recognize that the, the logic of the faith is really all about a love. You know, for, for years, I think I, you know, the love of the truth is what compelled me, but now it's more like the truth of love mm -hmm. that is showing itself to be the only thing that can explain everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mm -hmm. think your point is, is played out every day with social media because we see yeah. so commonly, you know, I'm just gonna post this article and people aren't changed and transformed by that because it's this sort of faceless, uh, you know, platform where you, you, it's hard to convey love. It's hard to have That's a real right. relationship there. So we have plenty of evidence that just putting the argument out there doesn't work. In fact, it makes people dig their heels in even deeper oftentimes mm -hmm. and raises the polemics to a degree that, that it really thwarts love and shuts it off. So in, in many respects, it's, um, it is a, a new way of approaching it that must really be on, you know, well, this, this, in love. This reminder, I think, is really central to Pope Francis uh, and that, uh, that apostolic exhortation that mm -hmm. we may sow the seed but it, it lies deep down in the ground. And even while the farmer is sleeping, it grows, yeah. it blossoms, and then it bursts forth. So the real Absolutely. agent of evangelization is Christ. Mm -hmm. And we have to insist upon the primacy of grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna succeed in persuading somebody uh, to sign on, uh, you have to count on grace moving him. It's not Absolutely. gonna be the force of your, your argument. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's talk about that a little bit more because I, I think you've, you've kind of removed a lot of people's hurdles by saying really ultimately it is not a one-size-fit-all. We have mm -hmm. to look at each individual. We have to listen to them by asking questions and finding out deeper. We, we may have value in apologetics, but ultimately it's finding out who this person is and how we journey with them. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this extra huge burden that's lifted by saying this, that really the agent of evangelization is the Holy Spirit, is right. grace active uh, in that person's life and through you uh, as well. So let's talk about that. Well, I think one of the things that has um, uh, grace is, I saw it most dramatically when I realized God loves these people more than I do. He wants mm -hmm. them to become Catholic more than I, I do. And in that was just this incredible freedom that I, had, I hadn't experienced previously. And I think it gives me that freedom when I'm around others, when I, it, now, even now as, as a mom and, and looking at my children and, and trying to evangelize those I love, um, that there's this freedom that it's okay if it doesn't happen now. It doesn't have to happen on my terms. And I think that mm -hmm. is what is we know about grace, that it's, um, it's always available and, and we kind of need to um, just be connected with that again. It's all about relationship as far as our relationship with Christ and, and pulling others into that love, I think, mm. is a really important element. Well, if, if what you finally give is the thing that you, you've got at the deepest level, then it needs to be love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the title of, of, a, of a wonderful von Balthasar book, Love Alone is Credible, mm -hmm. which became sort of the dress rehearsal for the whole Glory of the Lord trilogy. Uh, right. You give what you've got, and love is diffusive mm -hmm. of what you've got, Absolutely. and it spreads out, it radiates. It's also patient. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you can't say, okay, I've given you love, you've got five minutes. <laughs> exactly. And then Why you haven't you converted yet? Right. Exactly. Right. What's wrong yeah. with you? Right. God is very patient with us. Right. Right. I mean, he waited 30 years before he decided to really get serious mm -hmm. about his mission. Yeah. And it really is, it's so much about timing, God's timing and where, where the soul, he knows when and where that soul is going to grow. And so the prayers right. that you, we, we may say now, they may not really germinate until much, much later, but that, that's not like it's lost somehow. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another piece of it.
You had mentioned this already a little bit, but, but I don't know if you want to share a little bit more, but just on the, on the importance of prayer and even mm-hmm. sacrifice, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the role of evangelization. Absolutely. I know, I mean, there's so many stories of people using, whether it's novenas or having masses said for people. I know I did a lot of 30-day mass novenas um, for people, which was always comical because I was, you know, it's like day 28 and I'm almost done and, I, you know, I'm stacking up, you know, going to mass on Saturday night and Sunday morning to make sure I can get to 30 days without having to start over. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I think that is, um, you know, really sacrificing for others, and, and yeah. whether it's fasting or, or in small ways, um, it, it, those there's a lot of fruit from that that I don't think that we are aware of, and yeah, yeah. Um, even just regular aches and pains. Sure. I, I think people. Yeah, you mentioned one ways. devotion, which which is very uh, uh, popular these days. Mm-hmm. I, I think Pope Francis uh, uh, had something to do with uh, with the spread of, and attraction of it. Our Lady, uh, Our Lady undoer of knots. Yes, I mean absolutely. that particular novena. It's not only easy, but it's right. endearing. And there's so many. I mean, if you look at the world today, if you look at one person's life, there's so many knots. It's not just right. you know. I think back in the old days where divorce wasn't common and, and there wasn't abortion and all of these other things that just really torture our souls in new ways. Yeah, um, there's just, the, the, the knots are so significant and so overwhelming that I think we could really despair if we, we didn't have these great resources to, yeah. to know that th- these can be undone, there can be healing, there can right. be a new life here. And I think it's just the whole perspective that we're, we're entering into a very spiritual realm in evangelization mm-hmm. and to recognize there are people bound up with uh, all the things you mentioned and so many others, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it's the grace, it's the Holy Spirit, it's uh, the intercession of Our Lady that will undo those knots, right. that will open their heart because that's what it, the point is, is that it, they may not be ready to receive the greatest apologetic. They may be, mm-hmm. have all these walls and barriers up to, mm-hmm. to God's love and to mm-hmm. truth. Uh, you know, there, there was one section in your book that really intrigued me, this little schematic you put together, mm-hmm. uh, phases in the spiritual mm-hmm. life, that mm-hmm. first you suffer from yourself. You, your, right. your own mm-hmm. sins become a source of torment, and that's hellish. But right. then you start to suffer for yourself, and it becomes purgatorial. But mm-hmm. then the final leap right off the page, you suffer for others, right. and that's paradisal. That was a beautiful uh, uh, scheme you. that you had set out. Where did you steal that? Yeah. Mm. You know, it was, <laughs> it was one wonderful. of these gifts of the Holy Spirit, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, um, I, yeah, it just came to me, and, and my husband, when he read through the book, said, you know, this is a very different chapter than the other chapters. It's my favorite section. Um, I mean, when you brought it up again, it was mm-hmm. just like, right. I, it just, I read it, and then I reread it, because mm-hmm. I, I just think that Christianity in its Catholic form Mm-hmm. alone really can confront suffering and recognize that it wasn't just redemptive 2,000 years ago. It still is. Absolutely. And it isn't just, well, therefore we have an answer to the problem of suffering. No, we have a divine compassion, a, a, a capacity to discover our Lord in the midst of suffering. I saw when my mother was dying of stage four bone cancer where she was finding God in deeper ways, right. you know, mm-hmm. And I was like, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And so when I read that, I just, I remember jotting down something that I'd heard years ago that, that saints are nothing but graduates from the school of suffering. <laughs> nice. The rest of us mm-hmm. are just dropouts who've got to re-enroll, <laughs> right. you know. Right. over and over again. And, and hang in there, yeah. you know. And, and everybody else is running from suffering, from mm-hmm. illness. They want to avoid, deny right. death, and that sort of thing. 
But these things have that element of inevitability. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the gospel has a way of just finding people no matter where they are because suffering finds them. Right. And I think as a, being a mom has been just the incredible gift of understanding this balance of joy and suffering in new and dr dramatic ways. I remember bringing my third child home and suddenly, I, you know, it was like two weeks after he was born, and I'm in those stages where, you know, you haven't slept in days, and I'm exhausted. And, but I had this great deep joy, and I thought, mm -hmm. I know I'm not on any medication. <laughs> you know, I knew it was just that there was really, it was the suffering that was giving me this joy that I hadn't experienced before. And so I started mm -hmm. paying attention to that, and that was really... Um, just very decisive in my own life and helping me to understand this balance that I think we think of suffering as just terrible. But when you experience the joy that can come with suffering, all of a sudden you, you, there's a, you know, I don't mind this so much. I can take, I can take more of this. I'm open to more of this. Mm. And, um, and many seek it because they, they see that and feel that joy mm -hmm. that's, that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, as you think about um, evangelization, are there any kind of practical tips that you would uh, <laughs> share insofar as just making it very concrete? Right. In well, one yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, you yeah. can give what you don't have. So that that's certainly the first one. And then the, the second one is, you know, put put uh, the debate away and just yeah. keep it simple and, and just really love people where they are and then build that relationship. And, and that's really where the conversions are going to come from. So. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. So when we talk about evangelization, what comes to my mind is about prayer, love, and listen. So when I met someone just randomly everywhere, anytime, the first thing I would think, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then I'll just love the person and try to listen. What are they trying to communicate? Not only through their words, but also through their action, what they're trying to express there. And then if I need to say something, then my prayer is going to be, Lord, give me the right words and the right time. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This is our final segment here. We've been talking about uh, nudging conversions uh, within uh, your family, bringing those you love back into the Catholic Church. Regis, could you uh, start us off? Well, uh, thanks uh, so much for this book uh, and for your presence. Uh, it's, a, it's a marvelous book, uh, and I hope uh, a thousand flowers will bloom uh, from it. Uh, we've been talking about culture, uh, but uh, the subject of beauty, I, I think, needs to come up to surround it, uh, because when culture flowers, it's oftentimes around those forms of beauty which adorn and festoon it uh, in such a, a striking uh, and uh, brilliant way. I mean, beauty, it is said, looks after herself, but she needs some help. <laughs> She's sort of the forgotten transcendental, and good and true need to prop her up uh, from time to time. 
And uh, Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, uh, you quote in your book, I think in a very telling uh, passage, who speaks of the Gothic, uh, the encounter with the Gothic, which somebody once described as a lance aimed at the heart of God. And he speaks of the ravishing beauty awakened by the experience of the Gothic, these vertical lines that shoot out and shoot up, and they draw us heavenward. Europe uh, is, is covered with the Gothic. We don't have too many examples uh, here, maybe uh, pseudo-Gothic, neo-Gothic. But there is something to be said for those, those towering uh, spires that reach literally uh, into the heart of God and draw people in that direction. I mean, why should church architecture be flat as a map, like a bowling alley? Uh, it ought to be beautiful uh, and filled with these spaces uh, that invite us to, uh, to gaze at something greater than simply grit. Uh, and Pope Benedict uh, oftentimes speaks of, of the witness of sanctity as really mattering, but also the witness of beauty. And when the two conspire, the beauty of holiness, we make the faith that much more attractive. And your book uh, makes it attractive. And uh, I'm so delighted uh, that you've come here to talk about it. Thank you. Thanks, Regis. Scott? Yeah, welcome back, Harry. It's good to have you, and it's good to read the book. I really want to recommend it. But thank you, too, for, for writing it. Uh, I took away from my reading of the book the, the need that I always rediscover to focus on the face of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not Christology, not arguments in favor of his deity and that sort of thing, because it almost always, not always, but usually causes me to fall back in love and to fall more deeply in love. And I think whatever God does, it's because people love him and can radiate that to other people. That's what the new evangelization is all about, and that's what is distinctively Catholic about it, and you capture that. You know, John Paul, who called for it, you know, St. John Paul, described the new evangelization as re-evangelizing the de-Christianized. Mm -hmm. So it really is a reawakening, and it can happen at any point along the way, at any stage of life. But it also illustrates the point that you make in 101 ways, that conversion is ongoing. And it's ever deepening, it's lifelong, it's never easy, but it's one of those things that just gets encouraged through friendship, through family, mm -hmm. and often awakened through suffering as well. So I would just you know, emphasize one thing, and that is trust the Holy Spirit to draw you closer to Jesus and then work on drawing others, mm -hmm. not through argumentation primarily, although there's a place and a time for that, but to really be patient, work gradually, accompany people, and then be willing to be bold mm -hmm. and to say something that might startle the other person. But again, it's planting a seed that might not cause an instantaneous response, mm -hmm. but it'll germinate, you know, and the Holy Spirit will water that. And so I just wanna, again, get back and say, you know, you show in so many ways how to do it. And I would encourage people to get this book because it isn't a theologian. It really is something of a mom, of a, a regular person just showing how supernatural grace works. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, and thank you for bringing the Holy Spirit up because I think this is something we haven't really talked a lot about, but I think the role of the Holy Spirit, and I mentioned in my book um, my example of my, dealing with my sister, and she, she was living a very, very, very worldly life. And um, I knew, you know, as her younger sister, I was not the person that was going to bring her back to the church. And so I really started praying. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you need to 
pray that somebody else will come into her life okay. and lead her back to the church. And sure enough, you know, this great story that my sister tells about she was on a business trip. She went from, she went to like three different restaurants, but just for whatever reason, she, she didn't stay at them. And she said she found herself sitting at a bar next to a woman who was smoking. Now, if you knew my sister, she, she didn't, wouldn't go to a bar, first of all, but then sitting next to someone who was smoking was really the last thing that, that you would expect of her. And sure enough, this woman and her husband really just loved my sister, and they took her to Rome. She met the Pope. I mean, it was really the, the first spark, that I think, mm. for the, the deepening of my sister's faith. But again, it was, I think, I f feeling that prayer pray that somebody else will come into her life. And, and just yeah. to see the fruit of that was really remarkable. But Holy Spirit moment. Right. But I think the other thing that I would be remiss in not mentioning about um, evangelization is, of course, the role that Our Lady plays. And mm. we know that the as far as numbers, the largest evangelization that ever took place was with Our Lady of, of Guadalupe in terms of yeah. the, the, just the breadth of it and the, um, the quickness of it. And so I, I really think that's another key piece to just keeping in mind, asking Our Lady to, to help mother these souls and, and give them what they need, because um, she knows what they need. So. Oh, so true, so true. Well, thank you. Um, if you've enjoyed today's program, um, you can find out more by a download that we have for you, available at faithandreason.com, uh, nudging conversions, uh, particularly uh, this is uh, entitled for within your family. I think we all have uh, family members uh, who have wandered, uh, who are possibly living right now outside of the faith. Uh, you can get this at faithandreason.com or just for asking us. Uh, the book also, Nudging Conversions, a practical guide uh, to bring those you love back into the church. Um, we're at a time unlike any others, a greater outpouring of grace because we need it. Uh, a great, uh, they always say that, that for a new evangelization hap to happen, we need a new Pentecost. And as Carrie just said, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit because if we think this job is up to us, uh, we will fail and the world will be, be lost. But if we recognize how much that God wants this more than we do, and to pray, recognizing that fact, that whether it be your children, uh, your grandchildren, whether it be your brothers or sisters or parents even, or spouses, uh, this is an opportunity for great grace in this moment to, to call upon the Holy Spirit and the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've got to think big, recognizing that God can do great things, but act very, very small and say, this is our effort. This is our brick in the wall and saying we are building a culture of love, uh, one child at a time, or as Kimberly would say, one diaper at a time with our own children. <laughs> Whatever those little efforts, those little acts of love, uh, but, but consumed with God's great grace, offering our sufferings uh, really can do a world of difference. And our world needs to be transformed by our actions and our love. Uh, so let's, let's offer people those little nudges, uh, nudges that we can offer in their conversions. Uh, I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission. Our mission is to educate, to evangelize, to form those who are going to go out and transform the world. And we want you to be a part of that. Uh, coming here to our campus to study, to earn your degree, uh, to be nourished in the truths of the faith, or through our online programs, which are dynamic presentations that will equip you in so many ways for a life fully immersed in what God is calling you to do. Or join us at one of our dynamic summer conferences. Uh, or join with us on pilgrimage as we travel the world to sacred shrines around the world. Or go to faithandreason.com where there are uh, videos and talks uh, to educate, to equip, and inspire you for the new evangelization. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.